Hi, you're listening to Spotlight Aisha, a podcast that shines a light on ideas that matter. Welcome back to another episode of Spotlight Idea. I am your host, François Barré, and with me today, I have the pleasure of having Niels Kaus and Jan Pecoraro from DLA Piper and Portolano Cavallo, both wonderful IEGA friends and lawyers specialized in cross-borders mergers and acquisitions, and with an extensive experience in legal tech. Both of them are in charge of the legal tech implementation and in their law firms, so I thought it made sense to have them both discussing with us today. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. Super excited to be here. So I suggest we dig in. Today's spotlight will focus on what AI tech in law can and can't do for lawyers. Nils and Jan, tell us from your own experience three ways in which AI tech changed your day-to-day work and which tools proved to be the most effective. Jan? Yeah, sure. Um, well, of course, it depends on the uh, legal tech solution that we are considering. Some of them are the effects uh, towards the uh, outside and others more internally. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that in terms of uh, three uh, areas that have been impacted, I mean, generally speaking, those solutions have simplified some uh, repetitive tasks uh, that we had to do uh, before and are somewhat clerical, so simplifying, I would say. Uh, they made easier to uh, manage uh, some uh, complex uh, projects, and maybe we can uh, speak about this uh, in further details uh, later later on. And uh, something that came up m- more recently, I would say, uh, is definitely an emphasis on uh, enhancing uh, collaboration. And of course, with the uh, COVID-19 situation, uh, remote collaboration became uh, critical to the operation of our firm. And uh, tools which, generally speaking, uh, enhance collaboration uh, had a big impact on the way that we have been working since last um, February. Um, in terms of tools, I will mention only only three, uh, but there are many others, frankly. Uh, I mean, mm. One will be uh, an automated uh, time tracking solution. So we have a software which uh, help us in uh, tra- uh, tracking the time we spend on matters. Uh, and this not only in terms of actual time spent, but also in terms of what actually we have done on our laptops um, mm. during during the day. Uh, so this uh, made the uh, kind of time entry process way smoother than uh, than before and had a positive impact because historically the time entry activity has been seen as something very kind of cumbersome by our our professionals mm. uh, and these softwares did simplify it uh, substantially uh, then uh, an automated due diligence solution which we've been using mostly in the MA group of the firm uh, which uh, helped us both on the analysis of the uh, documents as well as on managing the workflow around the, uh, the due diligence and then lastly as i was saying uh, collaboration tools kind of video conferencing and exchange of documents uh, which we used uh, substantially since uh, since last february yeah i remember uh, you presenting to us uh, indeed the solution about due diligence automation and I fell from my chair twice. <laughs> uh, Niels, uh, what are, what is your take on this one? Yeah, I mean, Jan made the, I think, very good and valuable points. So there was 
actually not much to add, but maybe a few further comments um, and maybe yeah. personal comments. Um, speaking as a lawyer of, of a bigger international firm. I mean, first, um, our practice area, same as Jan, M&A, I think a lot of clients today perceive it as a commodity. And it really does not matter whether our work is commodity or not. I think from my personal perspective, and maybe Jan agrees, I, I think it's not commodity, right? It's still a sophisticated product. But it doesn't matter so much because perception is the new reality. So I can personally complain about a client's attitude if he or she does not honor my work or sees the same way, but it doesn't matter. So the problem we face today is that a number of, let's call it legal products, um, are perceived as a commodity and clients do not want to pay for the same amount of money. And legal tech is definitely a tool where we can, I think Jan called it burdensome work, where we can mm. shift this burdensome or re repetitive work um, into the technology field and concentrate as lawyers on the more complex work where clients say, yeah, I, I see the value add, I'm willing to pay for it. So this is one very important development. Um, and I think it's not limited to M&A. This will also affect other areas of law. Hmm. And this is something every lawyer should have on the radar. The second thing... That's very interesting, uh, Niels, uh, if I may just uh, in, in interject. Uh, how do you did you have to change then your business model uh, when you wanted to explain to the client how it used to be when you had, you know, the good olden uh, automated work done by associate versus having part of this now made by AI and still having to try to uh, um, bring to the client uh, ultimately uh, an explanation on how things are being done? Well, I think the reality is, uh, just take one example, a recent example from my from our private practice is where we pitched for work yeah. and the client indicated what's the legal budget. And we have to think smart about it, how to reach the goal within this budget. And without AI or legal technology, we would need to use a certain amount of of fee earners and then maybe do a write-off to, to win the work. But the consequence would be a write-off. Yeah. Now, legal technology and AI helps us to shift some of the work into the technology field so that a software can take care of certain actions, whereas we concentrate on other work. So it's a, it's a mixed calculation. It does not mean that in all cases we will stay in budget, but it's definitely a tool which helps us staying more in budget. We can use it when pitching for work. We can use it when talking to the client and discussing um, legal budgets and take due diligence. I would say the importance of due diligence in the light of COVID-19 will increase, but does that necessarily mean that the legal span for due diligence will also increase? I'm not sure about that. So. All lawyers need to find smart ways how to do maybe a little more or more for the same or less. And AI and legal tech is definitely a tool um, helping us with that, right? And maybe a second thought, and I don't want to hold it up here, but the second thought... No, no please do, please and, do. And this is maybe the perspective of a, of a bigger law firm. Uh, we all sit on tons of data and we all read in the news data is the new oil. And I think we all agree to that. And we see technology firms, not only from the Silicon Valley, but also other regions in the world, 
using the data, exploiting it, building business models around it. And I think the future will be that more and more firms try to utilize the data. And I think we come to that later on. But one area which might be of particular interest is predictive analytics. So what can we read out of the data for the future, not only historically, and, but I think we come to that later on. But these are maybe two personal examples I would like to add, but most of the stuff Jan has already mentioned, and that's definitely of most importance, yeah. I would say. I see you're already in advance of the overall schedule because you probably used AI before coming to this podcast. Uh, client uh, uh, should feel confident that they can rely on the tech solution as much as they rely on their lawyers. Um, Jan, in your experience, how do you effectively explain how your how your clients tend to benefit from the tech solution, but also from your business expertise? So I start with this one. Yeah. Uh, well, so I think that I mean, first of all, uh, adopting uh, those solutions it's kind of a working process for for our firm. So we are kind of learning. Uh, we're seeing the full kind of learning uh, learning curve. So the the answer probably would change depending on the scenario. But I can think of two scenarios if this makes sense. I mean, kind of average uh, due diligence project uh, in which the way that we present the solution that we're using is really as something that supplements our expertise. So we're not saying to the client, this work will be done by the platform that we're using, but we will tell to the client, we will stand by, if you want, the due diligence work product, but we are using uh, a solution that makes us more efficient, but particularly, this is something that I always stress with our clients, more accurate. I think that's key. We don't want to sell necessarily um, efficiency to clients, mm. um, or at least efficiency comes, in my opinion, after accuracy. If we can get something more accurate, even an efficient, in an efficient way, then it's definitely uh, we are in a better in a better spot. So in that respect, AI is always uh, seen as a kind of a, a supporting team for what uh, for what we do. Then there is a second scenario, which is actually quite interesting and, and exciting, in my opinion, which is the one in which we're actually offering to clients solutions to problems and solutions which we had not access to before. So, for example, when the, uh, uh, the pandemic started, just using something very, very recent, uh, we had a number of clients which had issues with several agreements, uh, of course, containing or not containing force majeure clauses, termination rights, and yeah. so forth, right? It's kind of a bunch of uh, uh, legal issues in connection to whether or not those agreements could be terminated or suspended. And for some of these clients, the volume of agreement was like huge. And so <laughs> we, had a, we came up with some solutions, which thanks to the use of uh, this uh, legal tech solution, uh, would put us in a position to provide, in a very efficient way, a very short time frame, a big picture of what is what are the information contained in those in those documents, which is something that we could not have done before because it would have been would have taken probably too much time. Yeah, yeah. First and second, it would have been very very expensive. But the offering is very very different because of course we were not telling to a client hey this is a full due diligence report or like uh, let's say a normal uh, 100% accurate or whatever like 98% accurate <laughs> due diligence report but it's kind of a raw product 
kind of a raw picture of what you have in your in your files and this we could not have done before so in this case the legal solution is of course like something that's not it takes a little bit a role which is more of a supporting role right is it yeah. is actually a solution that you can use to do something that you would not you were not able to do before yeah Niels, what is your take on this one yeah i mean in addition to that the tricky bit is of course that legal tech as it stands today is not a hundred percent accurate right um, so this is maybe the difficult part to sell it to the client because we do not present a product which is 100% um, default free, right? On the other hand, um, when you look at these statistics and data, how accurate is the work of a human being, <laughs> it's also not 100%, right? We, oh. don't, we don't say this in our marketing brochures, of course, <laughs> but the, the sad reality is where humans work, irrespective of as lawyers, doctors, or engineers in a nuclear power plant, you can do mistakes. And this is why we all have a professional insurance. Um, but AI or legal tech is not 100% risk-free. So the difficulty is selling this product to the client. And we experienced that when once we started talking about AI and legal tech, a lot of clients, they become excited and they say, it's perfect. This is exactly what I want. And when you educate them about let's say some downside aspects, um, they, it's, it takes a little bit more to explain it. So this is the, the, the difficult part, but at the end of the day, they get it. And a, a classic example I often use when explaining it to the client is like the use of technology or AI in the medical field. For example, when fighting or detecting a breast cancer, um, it's not only the doctor, and it's not only the software, it's the combination of both, which makes it most efficient. And this is, I think, what we all see in legal practice. It's not only the lawyer, it's not only the technology, it's the combination of both, which creates a perfect result. I like this approach. Yeah, it makes sense. with that if I, if I may add uh, uh, Francois uh, in terms of example there's one which I always use with clients which I think speaks a lot to to us lawyers um, which is the following I mean in uh, when we do due diligence on um, kind of do, uh, like a set of documents uh, drafted based on one template one standard uh, most of the time when you have high very high volumes of documents um, you tend to uh, do um, a review just on few documents. So you let's make an example. You have like three thousand documents, uh, one thousand one set from one set, one thousand from another set, and uh, one thousand from another set. In that case, you only take let's say fifteen from one set, fifteen from the other, fifteen from the third one, right? And cherry pick them. Exactly. She picked them for efficiency, of course, because yeah. if the client does not want to spend the time to actually review every single document, uh, that's the only way to go. And clients, they were fine with that, of course. Yeah. And this typically happens, for example, in employment, uh, with respect to employment agreements, when you have kind of standardized uh, document, at least in Italy, it might be different in other jurisdictions. Um, if we are using a legal tech solution now, we're in a position in which we still do those kind of cherry picking those documents. But on top of it, we had an additional layer, which is the automated review of the entire set of documents, of the 3,000 documents. That review 
even if not accurate, even if the accuracy is very low, let's say 30%, so very, very low numbers, and actually probably we're talking about higher numbers, yeah, but 30% of something is better than nothing, right? And that argument usually speaks a lot to clients. Absolutely. <laughs> so um, um, as to a, another topic, uh, clearly uh, COVID has accelerated uh, everything uh, these days and AI is bigger. What are the next big changes you, you see uh, in how we will work and what, in your view, are the big, important uh, legal tech products that will stay relevant or that will disrupt the market? Um, if you had to, you know, take a guess now. Niels, I, I know you started the topic, so maybe you can continue on that one. Yeah, maybe continuing with predictive analytics uh, because I think it's a very important aspect. And, yeah. and maybe not right now for everyone, but as a remark to all lawyers out mm. there, irrespective of the size of your firm, um, I think the AI discussion has maybe started around more bigger firms. But when I see now, if you years later, how the discussion evolved and who's participating and which firms are using tools. I think we all can agree that it's not limited to a particular size of firms. It is the whole profession. And I think when we now speak of predictive analytics, it might sound odd to a number of people or far away, but within the next years, I think this can become reality of a number of firms. And I also believe that legal technology will foster cooperation between smaller firms. So I think we, we see also changes in the market there. And at the end of the day, it is about using the data we all have. This can be, for example, with respect to business opportunities that I learn more about my client from historical transactions or engagements that a system tells me more um, where business opportunities could lie. It can also help me being more accurate with pricing. We currently work on a software which helps us um, reading all, out our historical billing diaries and telling us um, if we enter a certain parameter, size of the transaction, number of employees, ge geographies, etc., what would be a good price, a, a good fee quote for that? So, and, and these are only ideas. I think There are no limits, but predictive analytics, the old dream of humankind to, to, to get the future, to understand what will come next. I think this is a next big thing and not only limited to um, pricing. You can think of all different tools and I think we all will become more creative. What do we do with the data we already have in our hands and how can we use it in the future? Yeah. Jan? Well, coming from a smaller firm, this sounds uh, absolutely uh, exciting, uh, of course. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same here. Totally. Um, I would say, um, well, something, again, uh, more of kind of connected to these days uh, is uh, the um, higher use or uh, more common use of collaboration tools. I mean, again, we were forced... Uh, all of us to transition to remote working in uh, early, late February and including our clients, of course. But uh, since then, uh, we have seen many uh, collaboration solutions, not only video conferencing, but document sharing and, and so forth, uh, popping up and being extremely useful uh, in our um, kind of exchanges with, with the clients. So I think that before, before COVID, we had, you know, by definition, you'd be, okay, either we meet 
in person or we work mostly with foreign clients so our clients would not be able to meet with us in the offices in either or, or new york but uh, we would do video conference at most now i think there are different platforms that we discovered if you wish um, because of the of the pandemic and which client seems to like a lot so i think that that's an area in which we are going to see some some improvement improvement this was actually i really saw some uh, some improvement since march uh, solutions have been fine-tuned and uh and and so forth uh, talking more in general um i i agree with, with niels i mean i call it like democratization of legal tech most solutions were overly expensive, like three or four years ago, and with the uh, uh, kind of increasing computing uh, capability, those solutions are becoming uh, more accessible for uh, smaller firms, uh, which is something that we should all keep an eye, right? Because mm -hmm. if, uh, for example, uh, predicted, uh, predictive analytics is something which now can be uh, used or or offered really by just few firms in the world because it's so expensive. Okay, great. There is not really a competition issue for smaller firms at this point because we all of us cannot offer that thing. But if that solution becomes available in six months, 12 months, whatever it is, for a price that makes sense, that can work with our business model, that's where you have to be ahead of your time and be able to uh, to offer those solutions which your competitors will be able to to offer, and that that was the case, frankly, with the uh, the due diligence automated solution. I mean, when we looked into it the first time, it was very expensive, and there was really not a need to you know be competitive. Nowadays, it's absolutely manageable uh, price-wise. A lot of firms in Italy are offering now at this point, and therefore having it becomes you know one of those tools that you need to have. I mean, no, none of us today would try to work without having uh, Microsoft Word, for example, of the Office package, right? It would be just no sense, right? <laughs> That's pretty much the same thing, in my opinion. I mean, to different extents. <laughs> Thank you so much, gentlemen. I mean, I, I realize we're running a bit late. Uh, Takeaway I take from this conversation, which is absolutely tremendous, and I thank you for that. We remain relevant as specialists. Uh, AI is a good tool to perform better to the benefit of the client. So, I mean, that's good to hear. Um, I like uh, our, our listeners to have something they can take back to their home. Uh, do you have a resource or something you would recommend to our listeners to consult to stay up to date uh, with the latest legal tech tools available on the market or anything you suggest them? Maybe I start and I I think there are a number of resources, books, etc. out there. But what I've really found inspiring are the books by Richard Susskind. Um, he's, he wrote the book End of Lawyers. Yeah. Yeah. A more recent one is Tomorrow's Lawyers. And he recently wrote a book with, I think, yeah. his son, yeah. Yeah. Daniel, the future of the professions. I find these books very inspiring. And what you, what you can learn from these books is take a radical view on your own profession. And this is maybe uh, something I would like to, to, to give the audience on, on their way. Think about your own practice and, and be radical and, and simply ask yourself, why should a client pay for this service? It's, a, it's an uncomfortable question. And the answer is definitely not because it's you or you are the trusted advisor. Be extremely radical. And then you get a sense of what, what will come next. And you will st 
think differently about your own work, your own profession in a good way? Well, absolutely. On the, on, I uh, share the same uh, reading recommendations. Uh, and I would just add uh, uh, three, three points. Points one, point one uh, be curious and don't take things for granted. So we work in a certain way today. Maybe tomorrow there will be tools that will allow us to do the same thing, but in a different way. So how do we get from point A to point uh, Z? Uh, you know, there are different paths. We just need to find the one that makes more sense uh, with respect to the interests of the clients and also budget-wise, of course. Then second point would be uh, always set uh, realistic goals. So you need to understand what are the, your needs internally in the firm, the needs of the clients, and then set goals that are achievable. Because otherwise you can, I mean, the process of implementing legal tech becomes um, somewhat frustrating if you set goals which are not uh, realistic because people then are disappointed and then they don't take the the little time that is needed to understand some of those solutions. Uh, and then third one, which is connected, is uh, focused on implementation. I mean, once we have identified the actual solution, then where we think that there is more value uh, and where we have to inv invest our resources, sorry, is, is really the implementation of those solutions within the firm. So makes, make, to make them uh, accessible, uh, easy to, uh, to use, and uh, to put together like a support both in terms of IT as well as in terms of really professional uh, staff to help colleagues to understand and to use those solutions. That requires, at least in my experience, a lot of time, but gives also uh, very good results. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you, Jan. Thank you, Niels. It was really interesting. I, I hope you learned something today. I know I did. See you next time. You have listened to Spotlight Aisha, a podcast produced by Aisha for young lawyers across the globe. Don't miss the next episode.